0: You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 111, brought to you by Bessie Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Well, folks, today it's a beautiful uh, June morning out here with the uh, black flies and the mosquitoes and all that sort of stuff, Uh, but we persevere. We're gonna try to to shoot this and hopefully there isn't too much hand-waving. Today I'm gonna talk about crop rotation. So I've noticed a a good number of videos on YouTube with various uh, very popular gardening gurus um, saying that it's not needed, um, saying that they've done experiments where they plant the same thing from year to year and they haven't noticed any, any change in productivity, that sort of thing, change in yield. And so uh, I thought I'd speak to that because it took a good, a good amount of time for human beings to arrive at the, uh, the reasoning behind crop rotation uh, from, you know, before we actually did our agriculture and then as we as we developed that approach. So, um, I'm gonna address this uh, issue, I'm gonna talk about a little bit, gonna do a little history, gonna do a little science, uh, talk about the benefits, a little reasoning, and then a little how-to, okay? So, um, first let's start off by defining our term. What is crop crop rotation? (laughs) Uh, Crop rotation is the idea of not planting the same thing in the same place every year, uh, moving it around. That can be a very simple thing where you, now, let's say you've got a garden bed, right? Like that. You could plant, let's say, corn in that bed every single year. But what if you planted uh, corn in it one year and then something else in it the next year, or nothing, right? Letting it lie fallow, as they say. Or planting, a, you know, one thing, another thing, and another thing, three different things, and moving it from bed to bed, from year to year, or four four things, and so on and so forth, right? It gets more complicated as you go, and there's different logics and reasons why you'd choose different things. But suffice it to say, not planting the same thing in the same place every year, moving things around to varying degrees to achieve a better yield for various reasons, right? So let's uh, talk a little bit about history. I want to bore everybody to death, but, you know, if you look at human history, ever since, you know, let's say the Neolithic Revolution, at some point after the Neolithic Revolution, which would be, you know, 10 to, uh, to 12,000 years ago, when human beings stumble across the idea that it's, it's easier to grow something than to be wandering around, traipsing through the forest, trying to find it. Um, You know, that's when we started having civilizations popping up, larger human populations, greater organizations for society, and so on and so forth. For good or ill. I don't know if that was better for human beings in particular, but it was certainly better for uh, having more human beings, (laughs) right? And inventing things and all that sort of stuff. Um, So eventually, as human beings were doing this, and I mean, these are people growing really basic uh, calorie crops, you know, uh, various forms of, uh, primitive forms of wheat, barley, that sort of grains, right? Uh, They started realizing that if there was some kind of crop rotation, over time, it would produce better results. Or to put it another way, if they planted the same thing year after year after year in the same place, the yield would drop, right? And there would be periods of famine. Um, So they, you know, I'd be very surprised if someone came up with a theory of this. They probably just stumbled across it, where they just noticed by accident that this happened to work. Almost like the same way, you know, it's theorized that people, uh, you know, arrived at the idea that you could make something like bread, right? I'm I'm sure someone had just made a a wheat porridge and left it out, you know, didn't eat it for a few days and found that it rose, and then they probably cooked it to make it safe to eat, and they found that they actually liked the the half-rotten, you know puffy cooked wheat porridge better than the actual wheat porridge itself. Um, so, you know, a lot of things that we stumble across, uh, we stumble across that way and we, you know, we see something and then we think, why did that happen? Maybe, maybe there's something going on there. Um, so, eventually over time, uh, they would realize that they would get better yields if they move things around a little bit. And this first started off with very uh, simple applications, like a, a two year rotation where you'd, you'd plant something, and then the next year in that same space, you'd let it lie fallow. Let, you just let it go wild, you know. So in year one, you'd, you know, till it up, plant all your wheat or whatever you're growing, harvest your wheat. And then the next year you just leave it alone, right? Whatever you're trying to grow. Let the weeds happen, let everything else happen, right? And then this evolved to, you know, more complex uh, rotations where you'd have something like, you know, a three year rotation, food, uh, Food, feed, and fallow sort of thing, right? Where you year one you'd grow something for people, year two you'd grow something for uh, you know your livestock animals, and year three you just let it let it live, let it lie sort of thing. And then you have more complex models where you'd have something like you know food, fodder, food, and grazing, and usually have a, a, a nitrogen-fixing crop worked into that rotation like a clover. So, for instance, they might have something like wheat, right? And then uh, like something like turnips that you can feed to cattle and things like that, pigs, right? Then barley, which you can feed to both people and animals, right? And there's lots of things you can do with barley. And then they'd plant something like clover, which is a nitrogen-fixing crop, and they just put the animals out to pasture and let them graze on it. So it's a pretty easy, instead of bringing the food to the animal, you bring the animal to the food, right? Let them go for it. So, you know, these sorts of things, you know, evolved over time. And then, of course, you know, as we got into... Uh, the 20th century we started saying well we don't need any of that all we got to do is till it once a year and hammer it with fertilizer and everything will just work out fine um, but then over time that was found to be problematic as well because you're kind of um, really you're not bringing in a lot of organic matter you're depleting your soil problems arose from that as well so nowadays we've sort of got a, a multifaceted approach I under- as I understand it, in modern agriculture there is they do use fertilizers but they also rotate crops a little bit and Apply a little bit more, uh, you know, a multifaceted approach to the sort of thing. Um, what does any of this have to do for the home gardener, right? Because you're not growing grains, you're not feeding civilization, right? You're just trying to have some nice plants in your backyard. And I suppose if you have a very small garden, this probably does not matter too much, because uh, there's lots of ways. We'll talk about it as we go along. There's lots of things you can do. You can, like, just say you want to plant tomatoes every year. Well, you kind of are not doing any crop rotation but there's solutions to that as well. We'll talk about that later on in this episode. Um, but for someone like me who plants a variety of things, right, a wide range of different crops, it, it makes sense. So let's talk about why. Uh, the benefits, benefits of crop rotation. And I, I, I apply it in my garden, uh, anywhere from a four year to six year rotation. So in any one bed of my garden, <coughs> when we're talking about an- annuals here, not perennials, that's another category, and I'll talk about that too as we go along here. Where it comes to annuals, um, nothing gets planted any more often than once every four years. Uh, Either every four year, every five year, every six year, really however it works. (laughs) Fly on the screen there. Um, So, and I, you know, I I take a pretty, uh, you know, uh, liberal approach to how I do it, but generally speaking, at least four years in between. Like, if I'm going to plant potatoes in a given bed, I'm not going to plant potatoes there for four years or five or six. It really depends on how things are working. And I break those rules every once in a while if it makes sense, but generally speaking, I try to stick to a four-year rotation. Ah, so the benefits. Uh, number one, uh, it, it's a way of bringing organic matter to a garden. If I'm just planting, let's say, um, um, tomatoes in the same garden every year, right? Um, the tomatoes put down roots in the soil and then at the end of the year it probably pull the tomatoes out. I mean, you could cut them off but there's a lot of uh, pests that can go along with tomatoes. I mean it really depends but there's only so much root material that tomato puts out. By contrast if I plant something like potatoes, uh, potatoes make a lot of roots in the ground. I mean you're literally eating the roots, right? So, potatoes contribute a good deal of organic matter to the soil because they've, they're putting so much, right, or they put all those, all those roots out and then all of that stuff dies, right? And there's a number of plants that are like that, that have a lot of root material and you can just, like beans for instance, it's another one. You grow your bean, at the end of the season you just cut them off with a pair of scissors, right? Leave the roots in the ground, you know, they'll just rot out, right? Um, so you're adding organic matter to the soil without actually having to till and work it all in, just by virtue of growing stuff there. Uh, number two is uh, the fact that certain, some plants have deep roots and some plants have shallow roots. So if I'm planting a shallow root plant in the same garden every single year it's drawing all its nutrients from the top let's say three four inches, right? Whereas if I rotate that with a deep rooted plant, a carrot or whatever, something goes down, right? That plant, sure when it's young it's going to be drawing its nutrients from the top layer of the soil, but as it, as it grows and as that root goes down, right, it's gonna be drawing its nutrients from way down deep in the soil. So it's not gonna be putting the same pressure on the top layer of the soil as it is, uh, as, as would a, a shallow rooted plant. So there's an advantage to switching those things around, right? Um, it just gives the top, top layer a break, especially if you're using a system like me, where your top layer is perpetually being replenished, although only to a small degree, but still, by virtue of the fact that you have a, a mulch over your garden, and that mulch is perpetually breaking down and being worked into the soil, right? So uh, the third thing, and probably the most, one of the most useful ones for the home gardener, because we don't let our fields, our, our garden beds, lie fallow, right? That's a sort of ancient practice. We don't have the space for that. And it makes sense in ancient times to let a field lie fallow. Um, sure, that field's not producing anything in a given year. But these people are always going and conquering each other, and taking each other's land, so you know if you need more land you just conquer your neighbor, uh, enslave their women and children, kill all their men, and now you've got more land and you know slightly more people but double the land and that all works out great. Not so great for the slaves and the women and the children, and the conquered, right, but works out great for the winners sort of thing, right? Um, So uh, it doesn't work for us. Uh, I can't go conquer my neighbor. (laughs) And use my neighbor's lawn. So I need every single bed uh, in my garden to be productive, right, to be producing something every year. Uh, so one of the advantages of a crop rotation schedule is to work in a nitrogen-fixing plant into that rotation and for me that's things like beans and peas, right. So every, I don't know, every four years or every five years or at least every six years <coughs> every bed in my garden has uh, a peas or beans growing in it. I try to work that in very hard. Right? And then when that plant's done growing, so number one, by growing that nitrogen-fixing plant, it's pulling nitrogen out of the air, which most, most plants can't do. All legumes can do it, right? But the only legumes I grow in my garden are beans and peas. Um, they pull nitrogen out of the air and then they store it in nodules in their roots. Um, one advantage of that is that the plant isn't taking nitrogen out of the soil to anywhere near the extent another plant would, because it doesn't need to. So it's giving the soil a break. And again, if your soil is perpetually mulched, that means your soil is being recharged, right? Because the soil organisms are working on the mulch and they're (laughs) pooping and peeing nitrogen back into your soil sort of thing, right? Um, uh, However they go about doing that, their business. Um, But the other advantage is, as I mentioned, some of these plants store the uh, nitrogen in their roots. Now, they're storing it so they can use it. So a lot of the nitrogen that they're storing in the roots are actually using, but many of these plants are killed by the frost, right, so they're killed before they've used it all up, so there's going to be some left in the ground because, you know, if, if you're still growing and flowering and all of a sudden there's a hard frost and it dies, well they've got that nitrogen in their, in their root nodules, you just cut them, you don't pull them out of the ground, you just cut them off at the bottom, now you've got their, you've got the organic matter, the actual roots in the ground, right, those will rot and become little, little tunnels for water and different nutrients to get in it for the different soil organisms to move around. But those nodules that have the nitrogen in them, that's plant available nitrogen just waiting for the next thing. It's all going to break down. It's all going to be there. It's going to be ready for your plants. So it makes sense to work uh, a pea or a bean, aside from the fact that they taste great. Someone asked me, I was just on a radio show the other day and they asked me, what my favorite crop was, and I don't think I really answered the question well, but one of my favorite crops for sure is beans. I love them. Pretty low brow, but I just love them. Um, Soil, soil fertility. The other main advantage of crop rotation is its ability to help you deal with the various kinds of pests and pathogens that can, um, you know, attack your plants. Um, And you achieve that by just simply, um, you know, disrupting their access to your plants. So, if you've got a, a, a pathogen that is specific to squash, right, it's probably gonna stay in the soil over the winter. And these different pathogens and pests, they have certain life cycles, especially pathogens. I mean, pests can move around, right? Um, so with pests, you're just making it a little bit difficult, more difficult for them to find their favorite thing, right? Um, but with a pathogen, they really can't move around, not to the same extent as pests, they can't pick up and fly sort of thing, right? Um, so they're gonna stay in the soil. Some pathogens can wait in the soil for seven years, but some can only wait for a year or two. So if you've got a four year rotation, a lot of those problems, they're just gonna die in the soil, right? And the next time you plant that, let's say you've planted a, a potato in the soil and there's a pathogen uh, that's that, very, very minor. You notice some of your potatoes are messed up a little bit and there's a very minor attack like that, and then you don't plant potatoes there for another six or five years or four years, um, chances are that pathogen will just die, waiting, right, for another chance, right? Because nothing lives forever, right? These things aren't immortal, right? Some things are worse than others, right? There's a, what is it, white rot for um, uh, garlic, I think, can persist in the soil for seven years, right? Um, So that's always a risk, Um, but anyway. Uh, a good deal of pathogens can only survive a season or two, and then they're, they're basically just gonna die waiting for the thing they like to attack to reappear. And that's a great reason to do your uh, crop rotation. Uh, for pests, I mean, you're just making it harder. You're mitigating the situation. For a lot of them, can they've got mobility. They can pick up and fly, they can walk, they can crawl, <laughs> they can move from place to place. Um, but if you have this pest that really likes one thing and it, it places its babies, Right where that thing was, so they'll be ready for it the next year. And there's none of that thing there the next year. uh, It's going to have some effect on that pest population, right? You're making it harder for that population to proliferate, right? Which minimizes the your your need for pesticides or you know whatever means you use whatever means you use to deal with the pest. It's a lot easier to just move the crop and make it harder harder for the pest to find it, right? it's it's just that population is not going to proliferate if that's the case. Um, Now, speaking to some of the reasons that these uh, various YouTube gurus give for, uh, you know, not needing to rotate plants. Number one is, hey, perennials aren't rotated. You know, you plant an apple tree in the ground, it's going to be there the rest of your life. It's going to get better every year. Uh, So, you know, they don't need it, so nothing needs it. Well, perennials are perennials, and annuals are annuals, and they are different kinds of plants, and a different kind of root structure. You think about a a perennial, it's got usually deep roots and expanding roots, right? So every year the roots are finding new soil. Think about that. Every year the roots are finding new soil. Sure, the perennial is gonna be susceptible to the same pests year after year, but a lot of perennials, uh, you know, have evolved and adapted to be resistant to a lot of pests. It really depends on what it is, right? Certainly wild ones, um, but there are still pests that can take out whole forests, right? So, I mean, nothing's, nothing's invincible, um, but, you know, the perennial is adapted to be in the same, the same place from year to year, right? It has a long lifespan and it, it's able to find new soil every year by spreading its roots out, right? And, you know, it's, it's getting more energy, it's going higher, all that sort of stuff. Your annuals aren't in that same category. They're, they're growing in the top, you know, two, three, four, six, ten inches of soil, right? They're using the same thing every year. Um, they're not, you know, they're not, uh, yeah, it's, it would be rare. Many of the annuals we, we grow, it would be rare to find a field of those things in a forest, right? They're just, it's kind of an artificial situation. Um, you know, I don't know that you'd come across like a, a field of carrots in a forest sort of thing. You'd have something like a wild carrot, but that wouldn't be like the carrot in your garden, right? <laughs> uh, something that a pest would be much less interested in than your juicy, sweet, high sugar content carrot, right? Um, <clears throat> so, that's the argument against the idea of the uh, the perennial. They have deep roots. They have ever expanding root systems, so they're always finding new soil, right? So in a sense, I mean the idea of crop rotation is you got squash in this soil, and now it's in this soil, and now it's in this soil. You're bringing the seeds to new soil every year, right? The perennial finds new soil every year because it sends its roots out further. Uh, the other argument is that you don't need to do it if you're adding a half an inch or an inch of compost to your garden every year. And, and I agree with that, if you wanna do that work. But when you think about that, yes, but you, you, you're, you're bringing, new, again, you're bringing new soil to the plant. So if I grow tomatoes in the same place every year, because it's the nice, sunniest, you know, shiniest, warmest part of my property, and I add an inch of compost every year, that's probably gonna work for a long, long time, right? But I'm bringing new soil. Right? It's still crop rotation in a sense. I'm bringing new soil to the plant. Instead of bringing the plant to new soil, I'm bringing new soil to the plant, that compost, right? In a sense, you're, it's like you're adding fertilizer, just a very slow-release fertilizer. But you're adding, it's better than fertilizer because it's got the organic matter and all that sort of stuff, right? But you're bringing new soil to the plant. Now that does nothing to, uh, you know, mitigate pests and pathogens. Uh, that's a risk you got to take. Uh, With something like a tomato, you can just choose varieties that are unbelievably pest and pathogen resistant, right? We've got so many varieties of of tomatoes, um, and so on and so forth, right? Depending on whatever thing you like to grow, um, if you do a lot of research on that thing, you'll find that there's varieties that are always developing that are more and more pest and pathogen resistant, uh, right? So that's that's an option for that as well. Um, But that's the, you know, so yes, that will work but understand that you've got to bring that in. For someone like me who's got 54, the equivalent of about 54 by eight beds, adding an inch of soil to every single one of those every year is a pretty, uh, yeah, it's a pretty laborious prospect. It's not that I couldn't do it, but I'd have to make the compost and I'd have to move it around, all that sort of of stuff. I find it easier just to to mulch the beds, but that's my system. You use whatever system works for you. Um, But uh, yeah. Both of these ideas of the, the perennial not needing rotation and adding compost every year to your soil, it's all about bringing new, either the plants getting new soil by extending its root systems, the perennial, or you're bringing new soil to the plant, right? Uh, for me, the crop rotation idea is a lot easier because you're just changing where you drop the seeds. I dropped the seeds here this year, now I'm going to drop them over here, now I'm going to drop them over there. Right, you're bringing the plant to new soil. And sure, every, you know, another argument I've heard is that, well, all plants need the same thing, right? They all need uh, nitrogen, you know, N- NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Um, yes, they all need those basic things, but they need more than that. Some, needs, some need greater amounts of this or greater amounts of that, right? Some have deep root systems, some have shallow root systems. Right, so some have different, um, you know, needs in terms of light, all that sort of stuff. But every plant has slight, in terms of the micronutrients, some plants they need slightly more of this or that. And some plants are heavy feeders as well. Right, you think about a plant like a corn. There's a plant that takes a lot of nitrogen out of the ground, it's a grass. Uh, As opposed to uh, growing beans, which take no nitrogen out of the ground. Well, the only nitrogen they take is the nitrogen they pull out of the air. Right, so sure, they all need NPK. But they're all different in the way the amounts they need, the amount they take, and the the effect they have on your soil, so it it still makes sense. Um, Now, let's talk about how to do it. Um, Hopefully, I've made a reasonable case for it. It's just an easier way to do it, and it makes a lot of sense. The most important thing is to understand the different families of vegetables. So, sure, a carrot and a parsnip are two different things, but from a crop rotation point of view, they're the same thing. Okay, they're the same family. Now I'm gonna lay out a number of these different families for you. And the main thing is don't, you know, if you're gonna try to do some sort of crop rotation, try to, and every year I do a garden, what's it called, garden plan video. I usually do it in January or February where I show where where everything was last year and where it's gonna be this year. You'll notice I move everything around, try to keep it on a four or five or six year rotation. And what I'm trying to bear in mind when I'm doing all of this is what family of vegetable was growing there last year, what family am I going to grow there this year. Now all of these families have um, big Latin names, and uh, I was going to write them all down and use them in the show, but you wouldn't remember them anyway. I'd have to write them on the screen because you wouldn't be able to spell them for my pronunciation, which would probably be wrong. And then only a tiny fraction of you would actually look them up anyway, (laughs) right? So, you know, if you're interested, you can Google it, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, So I'm just going to use really simple terms, uh, and you can, you know, ex- research this on your own and expand your knowledge as you see fit. But, so, for one, we have like the carrot family, things, things that, this are, these are not formal terms, these are just my terms, okay? <laughs> Basically, things that are like carrots and they're in the same Latin family of plants, right? Things that are like carrots. So, you got carrots, celery, cilantro, uh, dill, parsley and parsnips. They're all the same thing from a crop rotation point of view right, they have very similar um, needs, they're similar in what they take out of the ground, they tend to have uh, similar pests that uh, are interested in them, similar pathogens that they're susceptible to, all to varying degrees, even within the variety, different varieties, right. Um, Then you've got your cabbage family, some people call brassicas or coal crops or crucifers, Uh, so you've got, you know, cabbage, broccoli, kale, radishes. Russell sprouts, turnip, collards, cauliflower, they're all the same thing, right? That family, all right? Um, and then you've got your, your legumes like peas and beans, right? Uh, I suppose you could plant lentils if, if, you, if you get those things to grow where you are. Um, but all those things, lima beans, all that sort of stuff, right? They're all the same thing and they're, they're crucial, right? You should try to have w- at least one of those things in a bed about every four years or five years, right? That really gives the bed a nice break. Um, peas and beans. Then you've got your, your alliums, your onion family, right? Uh, or you've got chives, garlic, leeks, onions, right? Those things have their own pests. They have their different needs, right? Uh, you've got the squash family. I think that's called cucurbits or something like that. Um, so it's uh, cucumbers, pumpkins, melons, squash, of course, zucchini, which you uh, summer, winter squash and summer squash, zucchinis and summer squash, um, right? All those sorts of things, they're a different group, they have different pests, they have different pathogens, they have different needs. Uh, and you're things that are like in the same family as tomatoes, so you've got eggplant, tomato, potato, pepper, they're all in the same family, right? So from a crop rotation point of view, if I plant tomatoes in a garden this year, I shouldn't plant potatoes or tomatoes or peppers in that same bed the next year, I should give it a four year break, right? Uh, uh, Corn, corn's in its own category, it's grass. Same as the grass on your lawn, It needs the same things. It's pretty much one of the the only things we grow that we eat that are in that family. So corn, (laughs) the corn family, (laughs) okay. So uh, corn is a very heavy feeder, huge nitrogen needs. Um, It's a good thing to plant after a year. If you're gonna plant corn, you should probably plant it in bed after it's had beans in it, because nitrogen's gonna be at its best after that. Right, the beans don't take much nitrogen out of the soil and they leave a little bit in the soil and if you've been uh, leaving it mulched uh, over the course of that year the beans were there the soil organisms had a good opportunity to you know uh, process that organic material and charge your soil up with nitrogen you know to whatever extent that's possible right after you grow beans the next year you grow corn that's your best chance to have decent corn assuming you have all, all the other things you need to have corn good sun right good heat all that sort of stuff um, And then you've got your things, uh, the beet family, right? Not all beets, but things like beets, Swiss chard, uh, spinach, uh, things of that nature, right? Those things are their own family as well, and they're different. You notice their their seeds tend to look kind of similar, right, and they have similar growing patterns. They're bitter. When you eat them raw, they have a bitterness that's kind of similar all through. That sort of dry taste you get in your mouth, if you're sensitive to it, oxalic acid. Uh, I've always found beet, spinach, and Swiss chard tend to be the most of the greens I plant. They're the more pest resistant because um, probably because of that high oxalic uh, acid content, right? So again, there's there's fancy Latin names for all of these and some people are going to write them out in the comments to show some out there and that's great. Please, I invite you to do that to save me from having to do it. Uh, read the comments. I guarantee you someone will take the time to do that. <laughs> that's great. Um, so, uh, You know, bearing all of those different families in mind, right, of different kinds of plants, uh, it's really worth your time every year to make a note at the end of the gardening season where everything went. Draw it. I mean, you can do like me. I, I just go up a hill, and my garden's at the base of a hill, so I can take a picture of a thing from above, and I just put the picture on my computer, and I just label everything, so I know where everything was, and. Generally, the the system I'm trying to evolve towards is that whatever was planted in it, my garden's on a slight slope, so whatever was planted there the year uh, in a given year, I move it down one. Everything's going downhill. When it gets to the bottom hill, it goes back up to the top, right? Or I mean, when it gets to the bottom of the hill, like think of my my garden like a like a grid, a big rectangle with many different rectangles, right? So I go corn, 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 corn corn, 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 <laughs> right? Different beds, corn, 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 so it runs through the whole thing. Uh, I have to bear in mind, because there's places in my garden that get more sun than others, so there's certain, th- there's certain parts of the garden, I just, for, to, to use an example, like corn or squash, where they're heavy feeders and they need a lot of sun, there's certain places in my garden I just can't plant squash or corn. They don't get enough sun to really grow well. Uh, so I have to work that all into my logic. And it's a great little, it's like a puzzle. <laughs> it's a puzzle that you work out in the winter when you got nothing else to do. And you plan it all out so that in the summer, uh, or the spring when you're planting your garden, you have to do, don't have to do much thinking. You've already worked it all out, right? Uh, so yeah, when you're planning your garden, think about that. Think about, I mean, this all depends on the size of your garden. It, it speaks to the argument for having at least three beds or four, right? And having a legume run through that system. So you have four beds, every year one of those beds has beans and peas in it, right? And then you've got the other, you know, you've got to look at what you like, right? If everybody likes tomatoes, so you're going to have one garden that's got tomatoes in it, right? You're going to have another garden that's got, you know, carrots or whatever, things like that, right? If you want to add potatoes to the group, you know that you've got to add an extra bed, right? Because potatoes and tomatoes are the same thing from a crop rotation point of view, they're the same family of plant, right? So you've got to think about all of that. And, of course, you can break all of those rules, and you're just running a risk, that's all, it's a risk. I don't know what the risk is, it might be 1%, which is good odds, (laughs) it might be 50%, (laughs) so, you know, that's the thing people don't understand, risk, you know, if if it's a 2% risk, planting uh, potatoes uh, the year after you plant uh, tomatoes, then that's pretty pretty low risk. Right? That's better odds than the lottery ticket you buy every week. Um, but if it's, you know, 30% risk, 40% risk of losing the whole thing, then you need a, 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 you know, more beds and more rotation. Okay? Because I know there's going to be people that comment say, I've been planning the same thing here for years and years and years and it's worked out fine. Yeah. Well, there's a risk and every year you've avoided that risk. <laughs> you know, there's things I do when I drive to work every day that are risks. Right? I'm a, I tend to be, uh, anyone that knows me would say I'm an aggressive driver, so I take risks. Um, you know, knock on, knock on tree, I've never had a, a car accident. Uh, well, I had one when I was like, you know, 16 or 17, but other than that, as an adult, I've never had a car accident, and I've always been an aggressive driver. Um, doesn't mean I can't have one tomorrow, right? I'm taking a risk. It's a relatively low risk, but it's a risk. Right, so that's all about risk. If you've been doing something year after year and it's worked out fine, it doesn't mean that crop rotation makes no sense. It just means you're taking a risk and you're getting away with it. <laughs> right? uh, so, you know, that's 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 all that's going on there. So it's not very um, not a very sophisticated thing for me. It's just simpler and easier because where's the what's the work involved in putting the seeds here this year and putting the seeds there next year, right? Um, also for something like, think about a potato, where when you, uh, when you dig up your potatoes you really, you know, it's almost like tilling the soil. So if you planted potatoes in the same place every single year, you'd be turning that soil over to a fairly large amount every year. If you're a no-till gardener, you want to avoid that to as much as an extent as possible. Um, so by working your potatoes into a four, five, six year rotation that soil only gets turned over every once in a while, right? So it gives the soil a little break and lets all the different fungi and soil organisms go about their lives relatively undisturbed, because the year you pull the potatoes out you're you know, creating a disaster right in their, in their soil and then, well, they'll recover from it, um, but not if you're doing it year after year, so uh, one more reason to move things around. Anyway, I think I've fleshed out the topic of crop rotation why I do it, why I think it makes sense, and, you know, why you might not wanna do it and why you can get away with not doing it in certain circumstances. Um, If you enjoyed this video, please uh, check out my sponsors, Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Product. Uh, If you go to Vessi Seeds, use my coupon code GAVS21. You can check the description box here, the show notes for uh, the details of that, generally speaking. If you place an order and include at least one pack of seeds in the order, you get free shipping using the coupon code gavs 21 uh, Safer's Gardening Products, you can buy this stuff everywhere. Uh, I use it in my garden when I need it. Uh, the main things I use are Slug and Snail Killer, Safer's End All, it's just a spray, insecticidal spray. And uh, uh, when I need it, BTK, which is a bacteria that wipes out uh, various kinds of caterpillars. Um, so uh, Safer's Gardening Products is a uh, Safer's, or Woodstream, two different company names. Um, really, what they what they aim to do is provide uh, solutions for pests that are minimally impactful to the environment. That is to say, if you're an organic gardener, like I am, right, uh, you have a real bad pest problem, um, all the organic um, means of dealing with that pest don't seem to be working, you know, slug traps and picking them off and different things like that. They're providing a pesticide that you know, the active ingredient in that is either, it's, it's specific to the, the pest you're trying to take out, and it breaks down in a manner that is not going to adversely affect the, the ecology of your, your soil environment, okay? So that's the, uh, the logic behind that, and that's why I'm okay with using it. Both of these sponsors, by the way, they didn't come to me, I went to them, <laughs> okay? said, hey I use your stuff, I think it's great, I have a podcast, I have a YouTube channel, how about I mention your stuff? And, uh, you know, you give me some money. <laughs> That'll help pay for the camera and the recording equipment and the software and, and, uh, and my time and all that sort of stuff. And they said, sure. And both of these companies, by the way, I have to say they've been utterly hands-off in terms of uh, my content. That is to say, they just let me do what I do. They don't tell me what they're not micromanaging every episode. We well, don't like what you said here. We don't like what you said there. They've been great. They just let me do my thing. I mention them, I tell people, like I'm going to do right now, if you want to help support the channel and everything I do, buy stuff from them. If, if they sell something you need, buy it from them, and that'll help support my show. That'll su- help support everything I'm doing here. So that's all, <laughs> that's pretty much the only deal I've got with them, and I, I get enough money to cover uh, all the costs that go along with that, a little bit extra just for my time and that sort of thing, so it motivates me to keep making these videos and uh, stay with it. So. Um, I hope you found that interesting. If you did, please like, share, subscribe, check out my podcast, MaritimeGardening.com. Until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching.